Hello, welcome back. Episode 17 of the Paddock Picks podcast. Once again, joined on the line by Charlie Post. How are we doing, Charlie? Good, Dom. Yeah, really good, mate. Uh, like, obviously, a couple of weeks now on from the, the cycle challenge. So, I think my body's just about getting back to normal and you know, back in the full swing of things in the yard. Fantastic. Now, we'll look forward to uh, talking more about that later on in the show uh, and obviously hearing how you got on. Uh, joining us today, myself and Charlie, is uh, the Diva Racing Manager, Ryan Tung, and first, I suppose, studio guest to the Paddock Picks podcast. Uh, Ryan, welcome. How's it going? Hey, Dom. Very good. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you, uh, obviously, for joining us. Um, as myself and Charlie are both aware, we always begin the show with uh, a few quick-fire Q&A questions. So um, I come to you and then I come to Charlie, see if we can get a difference in opinion on some, uh, I suppose, 50-50 talking points, you could say. Um, Charlie, I'll come to you first. Um, you can pick either one of these to represent your local cricket club. Do you go for Virat Kohli or Ben Stokes? Oh, uh, well, I suppose if we're, we're going, well, it's going on current form, I mean, it's, it's, uh, but you probably want Joe Root, don't you, really? <laughs> but um, I think I'm going to go Stokesy, yeah. I mean, it's like you know, in his pomp with the, with the bat and ball. I mean, he brings so much to it and he's an English cricketer. So, yeah, I'm going to go Stokesy. Ben Stokes. Ryan, cricket fan? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Virat Kohli, actually. You know, he's mm. the fastest, you know, batsman around and what he's done I think yeah definitely I'd have him in my in my team would you yeah, yeah. I think as Charlie says on form I suppose Joe Root probably would be the one wouldn't he but uh yeah Verrett Coley Ben Stokes two brilliant players obviously the fourth test I believe England against India got underway today uh Ryan they're under pressure they're uh, under pressure they are, has had a 50, but, but they're uh, they're about I think they're six down about 110 so yeah looking at a decent start again for England that's it absolutely Chris works back in the team and never yeah like yeah. you say they've absolutely started on a flyer at the Oval haven't they so long may yeah. that continue um, Ryan I'll come to you for this one pineapple on pizza yes or no oh god definitely not <laughs> why would you have pineapple on pizza it's that Hawaiian isn't it pizza I think you know, Hawaiian the, yeah. with the ham yeah no not for me definitely not not for you do you echo that Charlie yeah I think I do I, 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 I recall as a kid I used to didn't, didn't mind a ham and pineapple pizza but we went out for a staff night out the other week and one of the girls that works for us ordered a Hawaiian pizza, and it, I, it's actually the first time I've even really heard of one for a long time. So it's not something on my radar anymore. And I think my palate's changed, and I don't think I'll be ordering a ham and pineapple pizza. There's a lot of better pizza <laughs> options out there. Far too healthy, isn't it? Having a pineapple on a pizza on a night out—that's for sure. Um, it's lovely with a bit of custard. That's that's why I like pineapple, <laughs> with it, but not on a pizza. Well, yeah. Not on pizza. Not on a savoury uh, a savoury option. That's for sure. Um, Charlie, Jaffa cake, is it a cake or a biscuit? A biscuit for me, definitely. Um, quite a healthy biscuit as well, gone very low in <laughs> calories if you're, if you're at all interested. It Jaffa is, cake yeah. Is a, yeah. It's not a bad option if you're a calorie counter and you, and you want a bit of a, a sweetness in your diet, but <laughs> biscuit for me, definitely not a cake. Biscuit, yeah. Uh, Ryan, I know cake is in the term, but... The big decisive question, I suppose, cake or biscuit for you? It's got to be a biscuit, but it does, it does, the texture is like a cake, isn't it? Yeah. As you say, the sponge base. No, yeah, biscuit. I wouldn't dunk it in my tea, but, though. And you, but you can't, you can't put a candle on top of it. It's not. A <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> that's for sure. It wouldn't last very long with a candle on, would it? Um, no. 
Roy, uh, Ryan, final one, obviously always end on a bit of a racing one. Uh, Hurricane Lane has been installed as the four to five favourite for the St. Ledger. Are you a fan? Is that too short or is it justified? Big fan. I think he's, yeah, he's, he's exceptional with the way he won um, over in France. The last day was was, was very pleasing. And uh, yeah, no, I think four to five, a nice price. I think he, he, he will go and land St. Ledger. And I think the step up in trip as well is definitely going to help him and, Yep. Um, yeah, it's just how he's lost those shoes, you know, in that race, and then to then go and bounce and win these last two, the Irish Derby and then France was, yeah, a big improvement. But um, yeah, Saint Ledger would be tough to beat. Yeah, uh, Charlie, with the absence obviously of a day, yeah, his uh, his stable mate who beat him at Epsom, uh, as, as Ryan alludes to, uh, four to five, is that you know a, a touch of value? Would you say even the wrong side of evens? I mean, look. I'd... I don't know if it's a touch of value. I, I don't know if I'll be backing something at four to five in the ledger, but he's he's a more than worthy favourite, isn't he? Irish Derby, and then like you say, the, the French Group one as well. I mean, even like I think Alain Quirst come out and franked that form from France, finishing mm. second in the Judmont. So he ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, he's a real quality standout individual in the ledger. You know, he's a sort of horse that if he was going for the arts, you'd be thinking he had a squeak. He's the one they've all got to beat, but yeah, just for me, I, I wouldn't be steaming in at four to five in a race like that. Yeah, classic. Obviously, it can uh, throw up surprises, can't it? But it would be great to see Hurricane Lane go and take uh, the St. Ledger later on this month. Uh, that's all for the quickfire Q&As. Um, Ryan, I suppose we'll, we'll come to yourself just as a, a, a bit of a start. Of course, the head or the manager of, of Diva Racing, I don't know which term you prefer. Uh, what's your kind of background in racing? Did you come from a sort of a... a a racing heavy family not at all um yeah very lucky started riding at a riding school at eight years old and then um luckily the owner of the yard knew henrietta knight and jim lewis who locally lived down the road and they put me forward to um henrietta knight i went to go and visit best mate who won an incredible racehorse he was three-time Cheltenham gold cup winner and and went from there and i used to go down to henrietta knights and she used to look after me really well and um got very fond of best mate and and thought definitely there's a career in racing for me here so went from there yeah Henrietta Knight Charlie when when you hear that name there's there's only really one horse that comes to mind isn't there as Ryan says and that's best mate you know three gold cups in a row and an absolute legend of the national hunt game yeah outstanding uh, outstanding racehorse and and, uh, you know probably it's it's maybe underestimated how brilliant he was handled by Henrietta and Terry Biddleton you know in the term it's almost become the, the at the time they took plenty of flack for us not seeing him too often and wrapping him up in cotton wool. But it's kind of a, a, almost a given now with these these sort of blue ribbon horses in in jump racing that we don't see him an awful lot and that they are sort of prepared solely with the Cheltenham Festival and, and the spring targets in mind. So, yeah, I mean, look, she was, she was, her, her race record speaks for itself. I mean, you are chucking best mate out there, but when you look at sort of Edward on Blur and Impec and some other racing Lord demon. Racing demon, yeah. I mean, there, there was Summersby. You know, she that she was sort of synonymous, synonymous in a period of racing with a, with a lot of big stars of the sport. And yeah, she she she's a cracking lady as well. I mean, I must admit, I didn't know her overly well. It's only since I retired and I've done a few things with her that she she's got a pretty dry sense of humour as well. And, and <laughs> ever on the receiving end of a joke text message from her, you know, she she loves some some fruity stuff to send through she's a real character of the game Henrietta and, and a lovely lady and like I say a, a, a very very good trainer as well 
yeah, you, you talk about obviously the, you know, sort of in hindsight, someone like Best Mate who perhaps wasn't seen, you know, that often wrapped in cotton wool, obviously a term in, in racing that we're quite familiar with, Charlie, but it, it, it works, doesn't it? I mean, you look at Native River before he won um, the Gold Cup in 2018, I think just had one run in the Denman Chase at Newbury, album photo, of course, synonymous with the kind of the New Year's Day jaunt, you know, to Tremor before going to take on obviously the better horses at, at Cheltenham and, and winning two goals. Cups as a result, so it's a, it's obviously a tactic that should probably be in, implemented slightly more. Well, I, I don't know whether it should be implemented slightly more. I mean, look, we we all want to see these good horses racing as often as possible, but there's no doubt that in plenty of cases for career longevity, a sort of sparing campaign is a massive plus to to, to help them last longer. And and Henrietta was was brilliant at that with the way she handled best mate and I mean let's not forget he I think he won a, a, at least a, one Lexus chase he won a King George you know he, he won so many of the sport's biggest prizes and, and I'm sure the fact that he was able to go on as long as he was was because of the way Henrietta minded him and, and made sure that he was sort of seen sparingly and, and therefore that meant we get to enjoy him for many years and, and look his, his record in winning three gold cups is is testament to the horse himself and his ability but like I say also the way he was handled and it's it's a record that is looked upon admiringly by so many of the great champions to win three gold cups takes a hell of a lot of doing quite right yeah you must be some legend to have an entire enclosure at Cheltenham Racecourse named after your ride mustn't you well you know he's my yeah a legend of a horse and and he was my favorite when I was growing up and he still is you know three gold cups as as Charlie was just saying you know it's an incredible achievement and but what he won as well you know the King George and the Lexus chase and but yeah Henrietta like going on to Summersby and Racing Demon they were just an edge of Don Blur AP McCoy on that you know winning in the Queen Mother what a ride you know (laughs) one of the best rides I see and and just listen to the commentary now it's just um yeah it gives you goosebumps but no great great woman and that's that's how I got into racing yeah so um it's uh she she's all down to her so um I headed to racing school when I was 16 and um, when I did an apprenticeship at Oliver Greenalls up in Cheshire, who's doing absolutely amazingly well now with his under rules career. Um, many winners they've had and linked up with Josh Guerrero, assistant trainer, used to be with Dan Scouten. Um, so went from there and then um, had a couple of point rides, much failure. Um, but <laughs> that, that made me think, well, I've got to do something else. And luckily I came apart to uh, Mr. Gretsch and uh, Mr. Parkin, who... I uh, had about 40 racehorses at the time and uh, I was their racing manager, which I was very lucky to get the job and um, we had a bit of success there. So, um, yeah, and that's how I got on the ladder, basically. So everyone needs that kind of the, the two, you know, not what you know, I suppose. That's probably the, uh, the, 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 the best term in racing, particularly for a role like that. And Were you more of a flat fan or a jumps fan growing up? Oh, jumps fan, yeah. yeah. Even though I used to love the horses, electrocutionist uh, for Godolphin and um, all those see the stars, Golden Horn. But no, yeah, jump racing for me. Yeah. Charlie, obviously, I'm sure we'll be pleased to hear that as Charlie well. Charlie Post on uh, <laughs> Restless Harry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember Charlie winning the, the Welsh Gun National? Of course I do. Yeah. On, um, and he used to, didn't he used to ride Victory Gunner a lot or Le Bobe? Le Bobe was one that ladder won the, the Welsh National. I, I, I'm trying to think if I ever rode Victory Gunner. I mean, uh, I, I probably did have a go on him once or twice, but he, he Richard was very much like certain jockeys had certain rides and, and yet Victory Gunner wasn't ever really on my radar, but Le Bobe definitely was, so that was okay. And Russ, Russ A. Blanc gave you a good 
Couple of days, Blanc, yeah, yeah. He's, he's another one of mine. Yeah, good, good, good couple of days on him. So yeah, look, it's great times. And yeah, I mean, get going on. Richard Lee was a very, very good underrated trainer in his time. Who who won a lot of big pots with a with a relatively small stable of horses. You know. Well, what's Chepstow like to to ride about, um, uh, uh, Charlie? Uh, you know, particularly a race like the the Grand National. It, I have been once, and I believe I'm going again uh, in in a month's time. Obviously, for the the kind of the jumps season, you know, opener, if you like. What, what's it like as a track to ride around? I mean, it's like a very big galloping track, synonymous with with very sort of wet, heavy winter ground. Uh, yeah, it is in Wales, of course, Dom. So plenty of rainfall <laughs> there. Uh, it's it's actually a surprisingly undulating track that you maybe don't get the the sort of feeling for from the on the TV. Is in uh that you know there's a big drop out out from the home straight into the back straight when you rise quite sharply, and opposite way around as you leave the back straight, you go downhill and then rise up, and the sort of the 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 home straight sort of meanders up and down all the way up a a very long straight of more than sort of four and a half furlongs and. The Welsh National is again. It's a it's a race for tough horses. They they got to stay. They got to want it. They they got to also. But it's quite a surprising race again. Like a lot of these long distance races, they got to have enough sort of early speed to hold a position because the Welsh National is unique in that you you basically start two full circuits of the track on the winning line, and so as you look at the camber of the track at Chep, so you almost race immediately downhill into that bottom bend and. You can get a lot of trouble in running early on and, and, and you wouldn't think it in a race that's sort of fully three and a half miles long. But to get a good start and get a good position is, is often quite vital in that race. Yeah, uh, obviously it's uh, only a month away from the, the sort of the job season opener, as we say, the, the Friday and Saturday. So very much looking forward to that. Um, Ryan, do you have a particular course as a as a you know preference that you enjoy visiting more than the others or that you have seems to have more look around with your horses well i'm very biased the 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 course that i love is worcester because that's where i'm uh homebred but you know worcester yeah lucky track as well you know i've had a few winners there but um yeah no Cheltenham, you can't beat that i think Cheltenham, the feeling of national hunt racing there and the, the roar of the crowd of the first day is excellent did you ever ride a win around Cheltenham, charlie yeah, I had a few winners around there. I mean, look, it's one of those tracks. I mean, it's crikey, it's it's it, it, it's the best. But I mean, it, from a jockey's point of view, it's it's a great track to be on a good horses and going around there on sort of horses that have little or little chance that you can you can have a pretty rough time around Cheltenham because because again, as as plenty of people aren't aware, Cheltenham is hugely undulating and it's actually a very tight turning track or, or on most of the most of the way around, you're either hitting a bend or coming off a bend with an obstacle to jump and the, the track sort of rolls up and down the whole way, never never mind the steep hill that you run down before the finishing climb. It, 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 like I say, it, it's one of those tracks that's often thought of as galloping and yet from a riding point of view, it's anything but it. It's a real sharp turning track. Got to be on horses with speed. They've got to be able to travel and jump at pace. And, and, and again, often... That's what good horses are able to do. It's why it's why it's the unique test. So, for a jockey of my stature that did okay, but then you're often pitching up on horses there that are bigger and longer in the bed, and it can be a rough old place to ride round when you're not really going forward. <laughs> you had a, a great day, I believe, on the I think it was the same day that Captain Tomcat won at Cheltenham at yeah. uh, the showcase meeting last year. Captain Tomcat won, and uh, that was his third third race he won on a row um so that was fantastic but we actually had our first runner in ireland that day with glorious off and he won uh very nicely at sligo um which was great you know what a 
you know, two two winners on the same day is great anyway. But, you know, one our first runner in Ireland and then to have a winner at Cheltenham, our first Cheltenham winner, um, was incredible. Yeah. So um that was the start of where Diva Racing really lifted off and um now we got twenty five racehorses and all over the UK and then we got um some in France. We got uh we're just starting off in Dubai. So we're gonna be called Diva Racing Dubai over there with Sati Seema. And um, so it's all it's all about winners, really. And looking, just going back to the race courses, you know, it's all about hospitality wise for me now looking after yeah. owners. And, you know, the two tracks just to name and they're both owned by the same companies, Bangor on D and Chester Races. They're incredible hospitality and they look after owners so well. And, you know, most race courses, well, all race courses should be like that. But yeah, looking at the owner's perspective, you know, you definitely need a good day out and does help when you have a winner. <laughs> it certainly does, yeah. Ryan, just jumping in there then, your, your home track, you can't be that big a fan of when it comes to that, therefore. No, <laughs> not at all. But then, to be honest, it's only down the road, so then I'll just go back for dinner. So, um, but, Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, no, it's because it gets flooded so so often, And but they have been told they've got to do it, I think, because it's it's not meeting um, uh, the guidelines now, like especially yeah. the weighing room and the jockeys, they're not being looked after as well as they could be at other race courses. So, um, you know, I think definitely something will be done. But remember, Charlie, when um, those that sauna and in, uh, in, in the weigh room at Worcester, God, in a, on a hot day, that that shed up there could be about forty degrees, couldn't it? You didn't need you didn't need to sit in the sauna to sweat. I'm sure, yeah, exactly. Say, sit in the towel in the weighing room, and you'd lose half a stone. Yeah, um, I mean, look, it, like you say, it, it's difficult for Worcester. They come in with plenty of flack, sometimes deservedly, but. You have to remember that, like you say, the track is on a floodplain and there's not a lot they can really do with it. It's difficult to justify spending a load of money on a place that spends three months of the year under about three foot, four <laughs> foot of water. So it is tricky, but I think West Worcester definitely could do better. And going on to what with, you know, there's been all this stuff about um, about racing and what they can do better and promoting the sport. But, you know, I think beyond prize money, we do have to keep looking at the consumer experience. The owners are the most important thing to racing really and provide the, the horses and, and the income to a lot of people that, that, that rely on it. And, and it is one thing that really should be a, an almost no brainer that owners should be looked after tremendously well and made a fuss of. And there are plenty of tracks that do it brilliantly as Ryan said, and, but there are quite a few that need to do an awful lot better. Yeah, but agree. I've, I've been to Worcester, say to, to Ryan off air on, on a couple of occasions uh, this year, this season, I suppose, it went, went the the other week. I think it was on the Sunday. Uh, UB40 were playing after, and obviously, this is something, Charlie, that happens. You know, particularly these summer meetings, isn't it, where you have live music after? And I know there's been sort of a, a big debate. Um, you, you know, I suppose in, in racing media um, in the last couple of weeks about the casual fan, for example, and how, you know how important is the casual fan to racing? Ryan, as a, a someone who kind of deals with owners and obviously as, as Charlie rightly, you know, alludes to. They are the priority. Do you think racing does have? Uh, the, 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 there's a factor that the, the, the casual fan kind of brings that that, that we rely on. Mm, I, you know, the, the problem is, you know, they're, they're trying to bring in money, aren't they, and new yeah. people to the sport with these, uh, you know, UB40 being playing. But I know quite a lot of people that um, 
that are not into racing actually came down to the UB40, but they came down by the fifth race, you know, yeah. so they actually missed five of the races and they just went down to, to see UB40, you know, and that's probably, that's what's happening in Newmarket, et cetera, when they've got these great artists and yeah, it's fantastic to be at the race courses, but they're not learning about racing or anything. They're just thinking it's a jolly and uh, even though it is a jolly, but you know, they're just thinking <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great day for, to visit an artist, you know, not the racing and, uh, and the horse racing and what horse racing brings to, the, the enjoyment of others so yeah I, I think something needs to be done where there's it, they lean off it slightly um, you know all these artists etc at the at the race courses but then again I'm a I do a bit of hosting as well punting at the race courses um, Ascot you know Sandown Epsom quite a lot of tracks now and, and, and they they absolutely think it's brilliant they bring a lot of revenue into uh, the race courses and but the problem is then you go back to prize money why aren't they putting it back into prize money and then looking after the owners that way uh, it's a whole big bubble that somehow something needs to be sorted because i don't i don't know where's get where where you start really you know because there's so many problems there yeah i, I suppose charlie you, you look at a, a course like worcester for example it it didn't have you know i think a race meeting throughout the entire uh, calendar year of, of 2020 so it's it's more just about that revenue as as opposed to you know sort of race goer experience yeah I mean yeah yes and no I mean look for me I, I personally don't have a problem with the concept I, I think anything that can bring revenue into the sport is a good thing I completely agree with Ryan that, that I think there needs to be more transparency from the race courses about where the money that is created goes which is a big factor there and, and to me there are too many people in racing wanting to put their hand into the till without putting anything back you know and, and yeah. that needs to be addressed massively and, and like I say we just need more openness about where the money that is generated by racing as a whole how it is distributed and who gets what and, and what the thinking is so yeah I don't, I don't have a problem with the concept I, I agree look I mean you're going to get on savoury behaviour, but that's just part and parcel of life. And like someone said to me the other day, I, I don't think things are any different now to, you know, you went to a football match in the 80s and I'd say things were a heck of a lot more hostile than they are today. So, yeah. you, you know, unsavoury behaviour has been a part of life throughout. Um, so I, that doesn't worry me too much. But, but like I say, it's more, as Ryan said, that if money's being generated by the track significantly by having these concepts, then why are we not seeing it being put back into prize money and using that money that's generated to encourage more people to come into racing and underpin the sport, which is ultimately what's going to provide the future of racing. Yeah, the sport has to reap the rewards, doesn't it, of course. Um, I suppose just moving away um, uh, from, from, from the sport itself, uh, just, just, just temporarily, Ryan, um, Matt Chapman is an ambassador for Diva Racing, isn't he? Or the ambassador for Diva Racing. How did that relationship come about? Um, I just contacted Matt and, uh, you know, and, and asked him, you know, if he'd get involved. And he said, he, you know, he gets a lot of people asking him. and um, But he, he, he wanted to decide with us because um, he felt, you know, he knew Diva on his early days and um, up in Cheshire. And um, he wanted to support us. And so, uh, he's been a great help. He's going to be joining on again for another year. Um, we've actually got um, another person going to be joining in as well called Leona Mayer. She's going to be coming on board as an ambassador for Diva as well. Um, that's the first time that I've made that public, so that's coming. That, <laughs> that'll go. be in the next couple of weeks. So, But yeah, no, Matt Matt is great, and um, he's great. He's hosting an awards evening for us at the Balfrey. Um, he's just brilliant for our uh, owners, and they have a great experience with that. And uh, hopefully Leona will bring that 
bring that as well. Fantastic. Uh, Charlie, did you know Matt that well? Yeah, I know Matt pretty well. I mean, like I said, from, from when I was riding, I did a lot of stuff with him. Um, he actually spent a day with me one day. We did a documentary for at the races. And, and look, to, to give Matt his due, he, he got me a sort of start on Sunday Forum on, on ATR a good few years back and, and like he's, he's been very helpful to me look he, he, he polarises opinion but you shouldn't you should never <laughs> underestimate the fact that you know Matt knows his stuff you know he, he, he's, he's an incredibly intelligent guy he's a he's such a passionate man about horse racing and wants to see the sport succeed and flourish and, and look he, he brings something new like like I say there's I don't think there's ever been there's ever a problem with people that, that create opinion and, and healthy debate and and Matt Chapman was one of those. And I know from certain the point of view of working with him is you better know your stuff when you're around Matt Chapman because uh, he definitely knows his and he, he's not frightened to sort of pull you up on things that if you haven't done your homework. Yeah. People make out, you know, he's, he's a bit like McCruick, isn't he, in, in, in this era. Um, and he's a bit like Marmite. But do you know what? I think he brings a lot of people into the sport and uh, his yeah. vibe in, you know, in racing is just great. And, and that's why, do you know, I've gained a lot of owners from just Ian and Matt, you know, because yeah. they, he just does a great thing for racing. He, he, I love it. You know, McCrurick, he was great. And Matt Chapman, I think he's even better. Yeah. Well, again, and you should never underestimate what an intelligent journalist John McCrurick was, you know, as in before he, he was doing the betting thing for Channel 4. I mean, he was, an, again, incredibly educated guy, a brilliant sort of, you know, writing journalist before he did what he did. And, and again, I worked with him on ATR a few times and you cannot believe the homework John McCurry could be. He'd be there hours before anyone else, writing out pages of notes before he went on air and knew his stuff inside out. And again, was a, a passionate advocate for, for racing and all that's good about the sport. And, and like I say, I think Matt Chapman follows that on. There, there's an argument from my point of view that he's criminally underused by ITV in the role that he has. But again, that's, uh, I suppose, a... a main terrestrial television channel trying to produce TV for the masses and and like I say I think I think Matt Chapman gets marginalised unfairly on there going back to John McCurick there you know Jenny the the, the booby you know um, he, she yeah. was brilliant for him wasn't she oh look she again she, she was his driver and his agent and sort of confidant and, and again you had this sort of on screen sort of chauvinist attitude by John but it was a it was a bit of a joke if you like he absolutely adored the booby and, yeah. and she like she did everything for him and, and they were they were a fantastic couple and, and like I say you go on ATR and, and she would have obviously driven him down and she'd be there waiting behind the scenes organising his life and they were a formidable team together and, and like I say for, for all John's on screen bravado and, and, and comments that used to upset a lot of people, he did again a massive amount for charity and he was an incredibly caring fun loving guy that that created a tv persona that that made him famous and, and again back in his era if you ask so many people that didn't know a lot about racing to name a personality from it john mccrary could nearly be the first name on the tip of their tongue because he had that effect yeah and i suppose you'd, you'd probably say the same in the modern day about matt chapman wouldn't you which i suppose is uh is, is exactly what he's there to do it's, it's to you know stir debate and uh, and divide opinion i suppose that if, if he's able to do that and get people talking about you know the hottest topics in racing then that's uh, that's what he's there for well actually yeah, yeah. you know he, he he does that definitely you know there's no other there's no other presenter or broadcaster that i know that does it is scared to say their their, their <laughs> opinion matt 
will just tell you know tell you straight you know exactly what how you think what he thinks you know what he likes and um and and if it's wrong or not you know so yeah sometimes you know that everyone's scared to say their opinion but Matt's definitely not yeah particularly in the modern day it's uh like a breath of fresh air isn't it so uh well I don't think we should knock it by any means um Obviously, Ryan, just you allude to earlier, um, you've got various horses both in England, in Wales, and obviously France and Ireland as well. And now, of course, Dubai. And you said you've been to Dubai in the in the last few weeks, was it, I think? Yeah. You're looking very brown, I have to say. Um, so talk to us about the experience and about Diva Racing kind of expanding over into Asia. Yeah, well, you know, I, um, Satish Seymour, he were, is a very good trainer over in Dubai. And, and he, he definitely said, you know, it's going to be open more to syndicates and he thinks there's a great brand out there to be done. And um, I thought, well, let's do it, you know. So I'm always very ambitious. And um, it's going to be starting off with the carnival this year. So I'm um, going to be based at Sati Seymour. And um, it's actually, you know, cost training fees wise are less over in Dubai than here. But it's a totally different way. You know, they'll, they'll be out in the morning at four o'clock because of the heat. Um, they're air conditioned barns. Yep. Um, so it's a totally different way of of, of living for the horses but um you know it's it's going to be a great experience for owners wise if they want to travel over to dubai in the winter it's um it's going to be a great experience so i just thought it was a no-brainer but going back to england you know england's the main concentration you know and 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 getting new horses and new owners and and syndicates are the way forward now it's more affordable for everyone and and it's just all about giving them that that great experience and just you know it's it's everything really yeah um Charlie, syndicates are obviously fantastic in making a sport that I, I suppose infamously is, is is kind of more aimed at the you know the folk with with a, a bit more money in their pocket, but making it inclusive, you know, for everyone. Uh, without doubt, Tom. You know, in like syndicates are very much. I'd, I'd imagine the future of racing. Um, I mean, again, like you say, making the sport affordable, making it inclusive. So, no matter you know, what your sort of income you can get involved at some sort of level, like like within Diva Racing or any of those sort of bigger racing clubs. They, they do a tremendous job. And, and yeah, I mean, like we all have to be aware that, that for the sport's continuing health, we, we want to make it welcome to all and syndicates definitely do that. I mean, moving forward, like you, you see the success of them in certainly like jurisdictions like Australia where syndicates are sort of part of the course and, and they're competing on the top stage, you know, winning big races with syndicates of people. And, and you can definitely see if, if British racing can keep moving forward and remodel the prize money and, and whatever else, that the syndicates are, are probably the future of racing. And, and I think they're only going to go from strength to strength. And you can see with forward thinking people like Ryan and, and Diva racing and, and, and the various others out there that, they're trying to make the whole consumer experience more enjoyable, more fun, and everyone getting involved with their mates, which is, which is really what it's all about. And, and long may it continue. You can, you can only hope from racing's point of view it's something that could just get bigger and bigger to help the industry out, you know? Yeah, absolutely right. Particularly if uh, there's a, a trip to Dubai in it for you as well. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe if you join Dom, you'd be having a trip to Dubai <laughs> with me. <laughs> there we go. Never been before. So everyone I'd, would dream of that. Absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just interested... Um, Ryan obviously mentions four o'clock in the morning. Um, horses have to be worked, obviously over over in Dubai. Charlie, what's the earliest you've ever got up for work? The earliest I've ever got up for work. I mean, look, as in back when I was busy riding out, there's days I would have been up at yeah. I mean, not you know, I could have been up at four four thirty to get up and drive. I mean, most of the time now, if, if I've got very early starts, it's normally because horses are getting dropped off 
from Ireland or Biggie being picked up and and so yeah the the guys are sort of rocking in at four o'clock in the morning I mean normally day and out Dom it's a bit more civilized around here I, I don't need to start at four o'clock and the one thing we're not blessed with in in Britain is is incredibly humid and warm climate so there's no rush for me to get out and beat the heat absolutely right Ryan how about yourself uh, I'm going to say from the day-to-day aspect of, mm. of being a syndicate manager must be long days for you mm, you know I, I try and mix it around I still go and ride out you know even yep. though um, you know I've, I've got a busy schedule but yeah no I still go and ride out you know down the road and and that's what I enjoy but Half seven normally, you know, that's my, my time. That's a lion for Charlie, I'd say. Ah, <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, look, as in, I mean, like, we, 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 we sort of pull out first lot here, 7.15, 7.30. I mean, during the, the winter, I'd, I'd get up and see daughters about a yeah, quarter to six. But certainly during the summer, I'd, I'd try and take a break from that and, and then recharge. I think, uh, yeah, you've got to get the balance in life right, Dom, haven't you? As you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you'd... You've not seen seven thirty, I dare say, for a long time. <laughs> it's been a good while. I think it's yeah, it's it's still just about light when I wake up. I think you now uh, at the moment, although we're in September already, would you believe? So it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be sort of staying darker. Sadly, uh, yeah, a bit a bit a bit earlier on in the morning, isn't it? So um, yeah, I'll have to have to get used to that sight. But uh, not to worry. Um, we couldn't have you in, Roy, without speaking about Captain Tomcat. I suppose sort of syndicate star, fair to say. Oh yeah, he's incredible. You know, I absolutely adore the horse. What he's done for Diva is, is fantastic. But um, you know, he cost six thousand pounds. That's all he cost uh, out of Mount Smaris's. He won three over hurdles in a row uh, last season, and then he's won three over fences uh, this season. Then gets beat off one four seven in the summer plate, which really, you know, probably we should have just left him, you know, unbeaten over fences and, and carried on in October, but. We had to go and see what he was like. He's a six-year-old against older handicappers and the form's been proven since, you know, with um, Accelerator Express winning really well at Worcester not long ago. And um, so, yeah, no, he's he's really exciting and he'll actually head to Chepstow on the Saturday of the, the first National Hunt proper uh, festival um, for National Hunt Racing and um, he'll go for the listed novices chase where he'll have no penalties and I'd say he'd be tough to beat. We'll probably come across a, a nice Paul Nichols hot pot but, <laughs> you know, he's got proven form, you know, he's proven over fences and I think he will be hard to catch. He's just come back in um, two weeks ago and um, he'll be revved for, for that day. Yeah, some some insight there then. Obviously, yeah, Captain Tomcat heading to Chepstow. I suppose, Charlie, for, for any novice to, to carry top weight in a in a competitive you know handicap such as the summer plate it's it's a big ask but for captain tomcat to come you know a, a creditable fifth uh, with obviously frankie de burley who was probably just well in on the day and there wasn't a lot you know in behind in terms of the field that were quite closely you know gathered together um, as Ryan says off a mark of 147 um, to, to finish fifth in a, in a field of 16 is you know a, a fair effort for for a horse that was only over fences for about 2 months yeah, without doubt. I mean, crikey, it's it, um, a different ball game, isn't it? When when you you step out of that sort of novice company into a, an ultra competitive handicap chase, round market raising as well, which is mm. again not not a big jumping track, but they they absolutely fly around there, Dom. You know, and you, you you can't miss a beat, and and the, the, like the third last is always a crappy fence. You have to meet it, hopefully on a good stride. So, I mean, he he was beat no distance at all. He, he's he's an incredibly progressive horse. I mean, and again for we're talking about syndicate experience. You know, this horse has won around Cheltenham and Aintree for, for, for their team of owners, you know, two of the top tracks in the country. And and, yeah. and as Ryan said, he's going to go to Chepstow for that, that, that first big meeting that sort of almost 
welcomes in the start of the jump season proper. And, and I'm sure as a you know a six-year-old that there's plenty of big days ahead of him. And, and he by good side, well, an underrated star in my opinion, Dylan Thomas. He's, he's, we've had a few of those through the yard, and they're one of these that are. If you went to the the, the, the sales and said the horse would buy Dylan Thomas, most of the agents would be be sick as in they they can't kind of have him for all money and yet I, I think he's actually a really underrated sire and sort of sire that you can find a bit of value with, with which Ryan and his team undoubtedly did I mean 6,000 quid for him was an absolute steal I mean you, you probably would you'd be getting 10 times that or more for him now if you're looking to sell him and, 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 and that again is sort of the dream of these sort of syndicates isn't it falling upon being involved with a horse like him that's going to go to grade one tracks he's massively progressive and you're looking at all certainly on ratings that could potentially be pitching up at a, a Cheltenham Festival come March of next year, which before you know it, we'll be all talking about on the build-up from six months out, won't we? Absolutely. He's be here before we know it. Um, obviously, yeah, as Charlie says, he's, he's repaid his, his £6,000 and, and a hell of a lot more. Uh, Captain Tom, Captain, plenty of wins uh, in the Diva race and silks. I know he likes sort of quicker ground yeah that, that, that's the crucial thing you know he's a top of the ground horse but I actually think most Dylan Thomases are you know you go he's very versatile this side I've so uh, for what Charlie said about Dylan Thomas because Caspian Prince is a five furlong sprinter and he was the sire of um, Dylan Thomas was the sire of Caspian Prince and then you go all the way to Miltwood who comes second in the Galway yeah. hurdle not long ago it's all top of the ground um, and you go all the way to Nutswell you know who's been excellent horse last year and that's by you know he was by Dylan Thomas so you know yeah he's under 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 the radar and he's a four grand stud fee I think but I think that was in 2019 so I don't know I don't know the the latest about him but yeah no he's an underestimated side definitely yeah your lad's probably uh, put the fees up hasn't he for, uh, <laughs> for well, Dylan Thomas know. hey he needs to win at the Chanter Festival now but we, <laughs> we don't ask for much <laughs> absolutely not um so I suppose on the on the topic of, of weight carriage, uh, the BHA obviously running their quality jumps review. Um, Charlie, subtle changes uh, set to be made to their handicap methodology uh, in the wake of the twenty three five victory uh, for Ireland over British horses at the. 2021 Cheltenham Festival. Uh, it sounds as though novice hurdlers um, in, in this sphere will be given slightly lower marks to remain competitive, while older horses will be given bigger drops in the weight uh, when beaten. And obviously, I suppose, just a, heading into into October, you know, a, a pleasing move um, from the BHA's perspective. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure the Irish will tell you this is nonsense, but that there's no <laughs> doubt something needed to be, to be addressed because yeah, I mean, the the, the drubbing that, that was handed out in March was, well, I mean, look, it, it had been coming for a long time. If you, if you, I mean, this was sort of just the, the tip of the iceberg as in that you, you could see the huge shift in quality. But, but there is no doubt when you look to the handicaps, especially, I mean, it's very, very hard for these British horses to compete. And, I mean, what you're seeing time again, time and again, is horses that are, are grade one horses coming over from Ireland with marks that you know that, that that the English horses can't compete with, and then before you know it, they're winning a handicap at Cheltenham, and they're actually graduating on to be Grade One campaigners, which you very very rarely see with a British trained horse. Now the argument is maybe that's because those big Irish trainers have such an embarrassment of riches that they're able to target some of these quality horses at the handicap, whereas in Britain we're not so blessed right now and therefore any horse considered grade one quality is going down that route earlier. But 
my argument would be, I, I can't remember, is it Gellard and Montiel and Willie Mullins is that, that won the the boys' race, the conditional jockeys' race this year, had been running round in, in grade ones earlier on the in the year and yet mm. managed to get in at the Cheltenham Festival off, off the mark, I think, in sort of the high 130s or low 140s. And yep. you kind of look at it and think, if, if that was in Britain and, say, Paul Nichols or Nicky Henderson were running a horse in the Tolworth or the Challow or something like that, and, look, he's not winning the race, but he's not being beaten a million miles either, would they be getting in so leniently? I don't know. And so I think there has to be a review. I think the drop-in quicker of older horses is, is, a, is a brilliant initiative because you see so many of them stuck on high marks and, and never being given a winning chance. And yeah, I do think being more lenient with novice hurdlers to give them opening marks to actually have room for manoeuvre has got to make sense, Dom, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. I completely uh, echo every word you say. Uh, I think obviously another example was was Belfast Banter, who I think won the county yeah. hurdle carrying bottom weight, and then of course went and won a, a Grey One um, up at Aintree. You know, a, a, a month later, it was quite remarkable to watch. And um, I suppose Ryan, it was you know you, you could have looked at it as maybe a freak four day you know spell, um, but then of course when the first five horses home in the in the in the Grand National are all Irish trained as well, it was probably a, a cause for concern and a, a bit of a wake call was needed. Would you say? Yeah, you know, I think it was a wake-up call, but then I, I saw it happening for a long time. You know, you could yeah. see it going to be happening and, you know, they were going to dominate and, and, and they definitely did. So, But it's nice to see that they're going to be making change. And I think they were saying they're going to try and do it for when the ratings were around 2008 and 2011. So yeah. that, that era. So, um, you know, back to back to when it was then. So I think that, that'll definitely work. And like Charlie said, you know, an older horse stuck on that same mark and they're going down two, two, two. By the time they've, you know, unfortunately had an injury and they'll be retired, you know, by the time they could win another race. So, yeah, it's um, it'll work in both ways. But I think it's definitely a... a a great move by the BHA. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll see how the Apolo- press. Record. Apologies, Dom. It was it was Galloping Deschamps' horse. I was thinking. I'm not getting oh, yeah. on still. The bias crossed. You Galloping know, as in like yeah, yeah. I mean, he'd been. You know, he'd he'd finished sort of. He'd finished at sixth of thirteen in a, in a Grade One behind. Appreciate it. You know, mm. not not even a beat like seven seven lengths or something like that. Mm. You know, and he. He's then getting into a festival handicap of low 140s. And yeah. I just think if, if you looked at that in the, in Britain, would that happen? I would say probably not. And so mm. I think putting these measures in place just to, to look a little bit more leniently on, on novice hurdle form rather than taking it completely literally makes a lot of sense. And it's going to be interesting if it will help to level up the playing field. Because, again, for the good of the sport, we need Cheltenham to be a competition, not an absolute landslide. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously galloping Deschamps, I believe, went and won uh, a Grey One at, at Punchestown after, didn't he? Just to, exactly. Yeah. Just just to summarise the point even more. So, and I think he's already yeah. a, a short price favourite for for a, a Grade One. I think it's the, uh, the the festival, the Brown Advisory Chase, I should say. I believe he's already the uh, the short price favourite for that. So, yep, there you go, Hit nail on the head exactly. Um, so we shall see. Obviously, this time uh, in six months, um, once the Friday of the twenty twenty two Channel Festival has concluded, what the outcome has. <laughs> been um charlie uh we'll move on to uh the racing welfare cycle challenge obviously a, a great initiative um talk us through the experience uh, the experience was great in, in the whole i mean i'll be honest i i mean we we were sort of divided into three groups i i was with the sort of stronger cyclist group and, and there were some very good cyclists amongst them guys that would be a lot more 
sort of keen and regular than me. So I always knew it was going to be a bit of a challenge from that point of view, but I wanted to have a go, sort of going with them. It, I wasn't aided, Don, by having a pretty heavy crash on the first day. And there's no doubt I feel like I'm pretty mentally resilient. But after sort of being scraped off the concrete, after having a crash at 50 kilometers an hour, with 700 kilometers left to go and my bike being in pieces, which fair play, they didn't, they performed miracles to make it rideable again. It's actually in the shop now being repaired properly. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering, even though it's for a great cause, whether it was quite worth it being honest, mate. Um, but um, I, and I got home after the first evening and spoke to Francesca, my wife and said, Oh, do you know what? I think I might drop down a group because, I just don't know after this first day whether whether it's worth it. But I didn't do that, and we saw it out with the group that I was with, and we had a lot of fun in the evenings. There were some brilliant stories along the way. Didn't ben stop Paul you going out at Carlisle the first night, did it not, Charlie? <laughs> I mean, this is a great story. So we went out for a meal. We got out for a meal, and uh, Reese Flint, who is, is nearly a pro, I mean, he does about 300 kilometres a week on his bike, is incredible Iron on a man. bike. He ain't on a shoe mark with a standout. And so Reese Flint, after the meal, goes, ah, oh, I tell you what, boys, we'll, we'll go for a drink, will we? And we's Welsh, by the way, and you're, you're my terrible accent. <laughs> but, uh, um, so we, we, went, we went and frequented a walkabout in Carlisle. Now, I don't know if the walkabout in Carlisle get, ever gets busy. If any listeners to the show know, they can, they can message in. But on a Monday night, there was about four people in there. And then we go and, uh, up to the bar. There's, there's eight of us, I think. And Reese Flint goes up and he orders eight double vodkas and lemonade and he gets given his first drink hands him round and and downs his in one <laughs> and said um same again please barman and everyone's looking at him going reese christ um <laughs> you know we've got to be up at six in the morning to get all our kits together and and, and be on our way with 150 kilometers to ride tomorrow never mind the rest of the week and he turns around and goes i don't know about you boys but i think this is like a stag do <laughs> and everyone was a bit like Wah. I mean, I've been on quite a few stag do's now, Don, but this is not a stag do that I've been using. <laughs> I can show you. Um, so yeah, we had a, yeah. So we, we managed to get him out of there. Um, a few of the lads had a night out in Worcester, and then on the last night we had a night in the bar. And I was, I was just going to move on to Ben Pauling, who deserves incredible credit. But I think the furthest he'd ever cycled in his life was sixty kilometres, wow. and he did the whole ride on a a bike that he bought for two hundred quid that was <laughs> terrible. Um, but it, so so. Big kudos to him, but yeah, we were in the bar on the last night, and and Reese as well has a has a he's a penchant for for Jaeger bombs, and yeah. so he comes round. We we played a bit of spoof already. Ollie Greenall again, another great character who Brian knows well. Lost around the spoof, had to down three limoncellos, and he said it didn't taste <laughs> the way he remembered. And then Reese produces this tray of Jaeger bombs and wants everyone to do them. So thinking on my feet, I thought, you know what? I say what we'll do, all the people in the bar, there's about a dozen of us, so we'll all chuck in 20 quid for charity and we'll have a, a Wales-England playoff. So Ben mm. Pauling can take Reese Flint on four Jaeger bombs, who can do it the quickest. And the two boys were game, so off they went. And Reese proceeded to, to throw most of it down himself. His, his top was covered in it. But again, told us not to worry. I drank all the Jaeger, it's only the Red Bull over my chest. And um, so we had a, we had a lot of fun along the way, a lot of laughs. We had a tour gu a guide that was navigating off a map on the front of his road bike. We got lost an awful lot as well, which became a chance. <laughs> but but beside the point, I'm moving away from the story. But I think they raised over eighty thousand quid for racing wow. welfare, which is phenomenal. And 
Race and Welfare is a charity that tends to be in the shadow of the IJF a lot, which is, you know, the IJF's tremendous support jockeys in their, in their retirement and throughout their careers. But it's sort of like the racing's marquee charity and people are often not aware of the work Race and Welfare does for everyone within the racing industry, the, the, the workforces in the yards, mm-hmm. whatever. If you work in racing and you need help, Racing Welfare is there for you. And like I say, they don't get the same funding as the IJF. So it was brilliant to bring a bit more recognition to the charity and raise an awful lot of money for them. Because as we all know, in these times we've been in, all these charities need all the help they can get. And I think you can still donate. So if anyone does want to pitch in some more money to Racing Welfare, I'm sure they'd be incredibly grateful. Fantastic. Well, you've answered my my next two questions in one go. How much was raised? £80,000. Fantastic. Can you still donate? Yes, you can. Um, Is it over on the website, Charlie? It, 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 look, again, if you go on my Twitter feed or anything like that, then yeah, my Just Giving page is there. It all goes every many, every penny raised goes straight to Race and Welfare. So look, either do it through that or, or get in touch with Race and Welfare directly. And like I say, it's money that is incredibly well spent because it goes mm. towards helping anyone within racing. Fantastic. Uh, it looked like great fun. Obviously, big congratulations to yourself and everyone else who completed the Racing Welfare Cycle Challenge. £8,000, Ryan. Absolutely incredible, you know, and Racing yeah. Welfare, like, it, there's nothing else to say, really, it, it, what Charlie just said. You know, it's um, an incredible charity and, and, and exceptional for us all. And, you know, I've, I've never, you know, needed it, really, you know, because, um, you know, mind-wise, but I know they've helped a lot of uh, people out, my friends as well, that, you know, that, that have needed just an extra you know, a bit of a reassurance and help, you know, after a long day at work, it's, um, you know, they're, they're definitely there. So, yeah, it's fantastic. 80,000, eh? Brilliant. A bit like the NHS, isn't it? You might not you might not need it now, but you might need it one day. So you want to exactly. see it get every every single yeah penny that it, that it can get, obviously. And uh, it's it's causes like that, Charlie, um, the, the, the reason why it raises so much money. So, yeah, fantastic effort. Well done to everyone. Um I suppose we'll conclude uh, on a final point. You've given us some great insight. Obviously, Captain Tomcat running at Chepstow. Leona Mayer being announced as a Diva Racing Ambassador. A horse to watch for the upcoming jump season that may go under the radar. Oh. It can either be in Diva or just from a yard that you've, mm. that you've picked up on. Well, I'll, I'll keep it with Diva. I've, we've got a few nice horses for the National Hunt scene, um, you know, this, this season. But... I like a lovely horse uh, where we got full of light. He's ne- his name is he's trained by Nicky Henderson. Um, he's going really nicely. He scored nicely with Nico de Boinville last week. And um, he won a bumper in Downpatrick and uh, he's now with Nicky. And um, apparently he's going really nicely. So I think he could be nice for the winter ahead. So that's it. Uh, full of light. Full of light. Who's the sire? Uh, leading light. You know, an- another, you know, very unexposed sire who not many people like, but, you know, they always say they're a bit quirky, but... Um, you know, he, he's. I actually like him. I've had a. We've had a couple of racing. I've. I've leading lights, and they've been quite successful. So, you know, hopefully this one will be the next one. Fantastic. There we go. Full of light it is. Uh, the Diva Racing Horse to Watch for the upcoming 21-22 National Hunt season. Um, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you coming in. We wish you obviously the best of luck for the jump season and the rest of the flat season. Uh, you've obviously got plenty of horses. A syndicate fully on the up. Uh, DivaRacing.com if people want to find out more information. DivaRacing.com and you know on our social feeds, you know Twitter, Facebook, we've got our Diva Racing app which is a fantastic um, platform for you all to uh, to watch the replays, etc. So, yeah, there's plenty of ways to get in touch. 
Fantastic. There we go. Uh, Ryan, again, thanks for your time. And Charlie, thank you again for joining us. Again, big congratulations on uh, the, the Racing Welfare Cycle Challenge. Obviously, if you want to donate uh, to Racing Welfare, head over to Charlie's Twitter page for more. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Charlie. Cheers, Ryan. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Take care.